0: Galatians, chapter 6, we're reading, page 1172. Let me read. Brothers, sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand, Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me an eye to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers, sisters. Amen. Quick prayer, Lord, as we um, look at these words together. Please, would you minister the words on the page into each of our lives and into our life together as a body, as a church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this letter of uh, Galatians is all about freedom. The freedom that Jesus brings to be God's children, to be part of God's family, to be led in life by God's Holy Spirit. And it's a passionate plea not to lose that freedom. And as we saw last week, not to abuse the freedom by sinning. But having spent the whole letter, there's an outline by the way on the back, i just remembered. If you want to look at that, you'll see some references at the beginning in this introduction. Just to say that having spent the whole letter talking about the fact that we're free from being under the law, Paul then begins the last chapter, if you look down to verse 2, by talking about the fact that if we are living this way, following the Spirit, carrying each other's burdens, we will fulfil the law of Christ. Well, there you go, says the cynic, the Bible contradicts itself. But supposing it doesn't. Supposing Paul is trying to say something quite profound here, that although we don't live our lives by sort of following a checklist of laws and saying, tick, 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 I've done really well today, that's not how we live. But nevertheless, as we keep in step with the Holy Spirit, we fulfil all the law was, was leading towards. That actually we are fulfilling the law of God, the law of Christ. And in terms of this reference to the law of Christ, well, if you look opposite on uh, chapter 5 and verse 14, Paul's already referenced the entire law is being, is being summed up in a single command, love your neighbour as yourself. Well, that's what Jesus said, isn't it? They asked him, uh, what's, the, what's the most important commandment? He said, love God, heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. And so in this final chapter of Galatians, we find how the Holy Spirit as we follow his leadership, he will leave, lead us to live lives that are righteous as well as free. Righteous and free. And actually that those things are the same thing as the Holy Spirit leads us. So the last chapter of Galatians is going to direct that. It's going to say to us, use your freedom to love We're family. Use your freedom to be fruitful Because we reap what we sow. And then to conclude the whole letter, just at the end, there's an encouragement to boast about Jesus' sacrifice and never your law-keeping. So let's look at the first of those. Use your freedom to love. We're family. Uh, I think we get that picture in verse 2 of a family walking somewhere, uh, carrying things. Maybe it's a family uh, on holiday, they're they're camping, they've got to carry their tent and all the cooking stuff. Maybe it's a group of people who are refugees, they're carrying everything they managed to escape with and they're doing it together. Or else uh, a family that has been off to market or to Westfield and they're having to carry things back together. Their feet are aching, their backs are getting sore. What does love look like? It says, love looks like saying... Um, let me help you, let me take that for a bit, let me have your rucksack for a while, give you a rest and then you can do mine and then... That's what it is, it's a picture of verse 2, carrying each other's burdens. Therefore, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Use your freedom to love We're family. And that ability to love, it comes from knowing who we are. It comes from knowing that we're accepted and loved by God. Because when I know I'm loved, I'm free to love others, aren't I? We all are. So verse uh, 4 talks about people who get their sense of identity by comparing themselves to other people. It leads, verse 3, to to pride because you end up ranking yourself if you're always looking around you comparing, am I a bit better than him or worse than her or where am I on the ladder? Lots of people do it. All of us do it to some extent. We're tempted to. But if you realise, when you realise you are God's daughter, God's son that he accepts you and loves you And when you find security in that place, in that identity, then it frees you from comparing to others because you know who you are. You're God's family. You're able to, as verse 5 puts it, carry your own load. Or as verse uh, 4 puts it, take pride in just, just being who you are. Living for an audience of one is the way I've heard it put. I love that. So actually, the, the person who I'm living my life before and I do want his praise is God. and not worrying about whether other people praise me or not. As long as I'm pleasing Heavenly Father because I know He loves me and as I receive it, I want to reflect it back. That's me on a good day. That's a Christian on a good day. That's what we're called to be. Living life uh, for an audience of one. And when we've living life with that love relationship at the centre of it, it frees us to love others it means we won't leave people on their own so someone struggling with singleness or long term illness or bereavement or addiction we won't just leave them to it and say oh I I hope it gets better we won't necessarily be able to solve their problems but we will come alongside, we'll walk with them we'll share their situation, we'll encourage them to keep trusting Christ step by step And maybe we'll take a bit of the burden for a while in in some way. I've been hugely blessed when people have done that for me. I'm sure we all have. Uh, Verse 6 talks about looking after those who are in full-time Bible teaching ministry. So thank you to all of you who uh, are part of that as part of this church. Uh, Verse 1 is actually the main issue that Paul has in mind in this section. It's uh, if someone is uh, caught in a sin uh, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. So it's meeting that person uh, stumbling out of the pub on a Friday night totally sozzled. Or it's the uh, married man in church who you discover as you get to know him has, has woven a web of deceit and he's spending an awful lot of time with uh, someone who's not his wife. Or the uh, teacher who organises a trip for her school and rewards herself with all kinds of perks out of the budget. Any of those could happen in our church. Uh, People in church are sinners saved by grace, but sometimes they get caught in sin all over again. And if you are the person who knows that, maybe nobody else does, in love you will seek to support and restore and encourage that person to repent and come back to God's grace Rather than turning a blind eye to sin, we will carry each other's burdens. That's, that's the vision here. Notice that verse 1, there's a warning to people who are trying to do that. Sin is so deceitful, if we see someone else doing it, we think, well, they can get away with it, maybe I can too. Why can't I do a bit of sinning? Maybe not the same one, but something. No, no, love, love says we want to see everyone restored. All of us as a family together. Whatever we can do, whatever I can do to help you, whatever you can do to help me... And I wonder whether this is a real word to us in, in the West, isn't it? We seem to be so individualistic, whereas this is saying, well actually, sure we have privacy, but there's not this sort of cocooning off from each other. I have my private world and you may not speak to me about it. Well that's not family, is it? Family is gentle. Family is sometimes very blunt if people need that. But... Family is, I'm for you, and I, I want to see the best for you. I don't want to leave you cocooned off with some thing that's actually going to ruin your life. I'm not going to judge, but I am going to speak. I am going to pray. I am going to love. That's family. It says, your burden is my burden. It has courage to get involved. It's committed. So that's the vision here. Use your freedom to love... We're family. Second part is to use your freedom to be fruitful. And that's the sort of section uh, after verse 7 with the reminder that we reap what we sow. A friend of mine rented a house in Cambridge, I think it was. Um, He was delighted to discover when he moved in, there were two peach trees in the garden actually laden down with peaches. Peaches. He was really surprised by this. He talked to the neighbours and said, well, how has this happened? And and the neighbours thought, and they said, actually, 30 years ago, two little girls lived here, and um, with their parents' encouragement, they planted their peach stones at the bottom of the garden. And remarkably, considering the British climate, uh, those peach stones grew and became trees that actually bore fruit and yielded the harvest. Amazing. That's how the world works. God's made it that way. Supposing the girls had planted turnips. There wouldn't have been any peaches for my friend to enjoy, would there? Possibly some turnips, but no peaches. We don't have to be genius gardeners, do we, to work out why that is. You reap what you sow. And the same is true spiritually. That's what verse 7 says. Verse 8 explains, if you sow sin, then you will reap sin. You will end up addicted to it, a slave to it. Whether it's greed or anger or lust or pride or gossip or grumbling or self-centeredness. If you sow to those things, you will reap destruction, verse 8 warns, in your relationship with other people and destruction in your relationship with God too. It's as certain as if you plant turnips, you'll reap turnips. It's how God's made the world. But the point of that sobering warning or truth is to get to verse 8, the second part. If we look to God, if we walk with the Spirit, and we sow to please the Spirit, then we'll reap a harvest not only of life, but of eternal life. The thing about harvests is you don't instantly know what's happening. For a while, nothing seems, you know, you plant something in the ground and there it is. It's the ground still and you don't see anything and eventually you see some green shoots but you don't know what they're going to become. And that's the thing, you and I, we can be sinning away for a while in secret. There are no obvious signs of it in our lives. As far as anyone else can see, we can pretend, oh yeah, yeah, peaches are on the way. But all the time we're sowing turnips and we're going to reap turnips. Verse 7, God cannot be mocked, a man or woman reaps whatever they sow. But the purpose of this is to encourage us, therefore, to sow to the Spirit, to walk where the Spirit leads us, to be satisfied in Christ, and verse 9, not to become weary in doing good, which is so easy, isn't it? But to know that at the proper time, We'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Again, it's such a word in season to our culture. We live in a culture of the now, impatient for results, where we're concerned more about style, image, how do I look, than who am I, what's my character. We will not just accidentally, overnight, become godly, prayerful, faith-filled, loving, peacemaking, Christ-like believers. It is not something you can just switch on on a Sunday or any other day you reap what you sow so friends let's use our freedom to be fruitful that's the whole encouragement here sowing to please the spirits whether that's um, I guess we can do a bit of watering don't we he's leading, he's doing the gardening but we can water the work as we give ourselves to prayer as we absorb what the Bible says Um, we do that personally I hope uh, through the week we do that in what we watch on YouTube or on the God channel or listen to on Premiere. We do that uh, we oh, downloading sermons. Uh, that, what, that service is now working on the website if you want to catch up on things you've missed. Um, plugging into Life Groups, there's things on the, on the um, service sheet there to tell us when the Life Group restarts and the, the prayer meeting. Those are all things that will encourage the growth. But actually the the focus here is just day to day. It's It's a wet Wednesday or a sunny Tuesday. The decisions you make, the desires you follow, where do you sow and invest your life as you're managing people at work, as you're bringing up kids or grandkids, as you're shopping at Westfield? What are you sowing into? Are you using your freedom to be fruitful and to go with what the Holy Spirit wants? That's the challenge and the encouragement and the vision here. And then as as he closes off the end of this letter in verse 11 and following, it seems that Paul um, said to whoever wrote the rest of it out, he said, give me the quill, I'm going to write this bit myself. He talks about using his own hand. And so I I, I deduce from that that this final point must be quite important if he's done that. It's summarising the whole of what he's been saying. It's saying, boast in your life about Jesus' sacrifice, not our law-keeping or anything else for that matter. So he's saying, isn't he, the word boast comes in verse 13 and then verse 14, May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you know if you're friends with an Arsenal fan? Not particularly difficult, is it, if you are friends with an Arsenal fan, a proper fan? They will talk about it, possibly quite a lot. They'll talk about the games, they'll talk about the transfer deals, they'll talk about whether Arsene Wenger should or shouldn't still be the manager. They'll talk about whether they're going to win the premiership this season. Not looking good so far. Um, But who knows? They will talk about it. And they will show it in practical ways. Where would they have been at the weekends? They'll be at the Emirates or with some people at the pub watching. it Or they'll have paid their subscription. How will they spend their time? How will they spend? If they're a proper fan, it's really obvious, isn't it? How will your friends and my friends know we're Christian? Isn't it exactly the same? It'll show in practical ways in our lives. It'll show in what we talk about. Won't it? We say some people in life have got bragging rights uh, because they've done something really good or their team uh, has done something really good or a member of their family has. Uh, Most of us are too polite to uh, boast about ourselves and we're not being encouraged to to do that here. But as we read in verse 14... Paul is saying there is something we should boast about. There is something we should talk about whenever we get the opportunity. We should talk about Jesus' sacrifice. It's that important, says Paul. It's the most important thing that you or I could discover, or that anyone else could discover. Which is why we want to talk about it whenever we can. And Paul says that, knowing that people, when he wrote it, would get into trouble for doing so. Uh, Back then, official Roman religion required everyone to join in certain ceremonies to uh, worship and honor the emperor. The Jews, on the other hand, were given a special opt-out. And so I think that explains what he comes back to in verse 12 when he talks about the teachers who'd come to the church and persuaded them all to get circumcised. Perhaps, as well as claiming that it was what God wanted because it was there in the Old Testament law, they were also appealing to the Christians to say, listen, you could avoid persecution. Because if you look like the Jews, then the Romans will let you have the opt out as well. That's a likely um, reason that Paul is talking in this way in verse 12 about trying to make a good impression outwardly by being circumcised, avoiding being persecuted for the cross of Christ. And the issue for us is different, I think, hope. but i think the temptation is the same to live our lives just wanting others to kind of have a good impression of us all the time made to be seen as a respectable church of england type you know not one of those bible bashers but the kind of christian that's sort of seen and not heard do you feel that temptation but christianity's not bad is it christianity's not seen and not heard i mean hopefully it is seen But the words go with it. Jesus, our Saviour, died for the sins of all who will put their faith in him. And we want to to know it. We love to talk about it. Verse 15, neither uncircumcision or circumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's what Paul's saying. Far more than a football team. We want to talk about Jesus when we can. Our relationship with the world around us changed. We, We shouldn't be worried about the good impression outwardly with others as long as we're living for the audience of one. We're pleasing God. And I think that affects the way we come together in church as well. If we've got that focus on God and what's really important, then other things, you know, what we wear, what songs we sing... I don't know which version of the Bible we use. Those things we come and kind of think, well, are they? No, they're not as important as living for the audience of one, as what Christ has done for us all, he's died for us all. We're brothers and sisters, we're one in him. And so we come together, as verse 16 says, with peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. We come together and the people of Jesus are now the new Israel. This is another little, the little sort of bombshell that Paul puts at the end of the letter. It's remarkable that the true Israel of God is now the multinational people who've put their faith in Jesus. Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free. We're the Israel of God. His chosen people, his family together. So I wonder, is this the sort of thing we boast about, we get excited about, we talk about? What topics, when you uh, when you uh, kind of initiate a conversation, what topics do you try and get the conversation on to? What are you delighted to tell other people about? Is it how the children, the grandchildren are doing? I hope it is. Is it how your team is getting on, or something, or how the garden's going, or, or how work's going? If you're doing well, well it can't be those things. They're good. What you've been doing over the summer, but isn't. What Jesus has already done for us all on the cross, the thing we want to talk about with everyone we know, we want to boast about, the outpouring grace of God who sent his Son for us. Paul, at the beginning of the letter, he, he talks about his identity, his outlook on life. In chapter 2 and verse 20 he says, The life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a motto for life. And you and I, when we've grasped something of our identity as the one God loves, the one who is set free by him to live a righteous life, free from pride, free from self-serving sin, that we don't need to spend our lives uh, wasted, uh, reaping destruction, but rather we can live a life that's fruitful, that's free to live the right way, then we want to talk about that. We want to boast about the one who has saved us to live like that. We're free to love, to give, to serve. We're family. We're free to be fruitful, to live the right way as we follow the leadership of the Spirit. And know we we reap what we sow, so we sow to please the Spirit. And it means we will gladly boast about Jesus' sacrifice, not our law-keeping, not anything else. We will talk about the one who's the Saviour for all who put their faith in Him. So let me close with a couple of verses just from the end. There's a blessing for us from God. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, sisters, brothers. Amen.